0: That would explain why it wasn't working that's that sounds a little better, right? Yes, well hey, I was at a large church recently. How can you touch number one down just a hair? It's the first channel over there It might work. We'll see I was at a a a large church not too long ago, and I was in uh really big, fancy uh, facilities very nice, and one of the people I was with or associated with was just like wow isn't this amazing this is so beautiful I think every church should look like this you know and just reflecting on that is from thinking people like pretty things they like big things successful things shiny things we like the idea of success and Whatever. I was actually at a funeral today at a local church. And they're in this nice new shiny building. And I could just tell by the people that hadn't been there before. Like, ooh, these people really got... They're really, God must be really working here. We, we like pretty things. And we like pretty people too. We like good looking people. That's the people we celebrate. That's the people we look to. And uh, here's the thing though. In this passage... Many would say Jesus is described as being kind of ugly. That he's an ugly person that men would turn their faces from. But you know what? I don't really agree with that. I don't really think Jesus was described here as ugly. Although I don't think he was maybe a a supermodel. He might not have been cast in any leading male roles. Or anything like that. I think, if anything, he was just kind of normal Palestinian Jew who came from a small town. Uh, but maybe not ugly, but not overly uh, beautiful either, or handsome or whatever. Uh, guapo. Is that the name, the word? El Guapo. Uh, so. Why is he described here as one from whom men hide their faces? What is this talking about here? What is it about Jesus that would turn men away from him? To where they would call him stricken. That they would reject him. Even his own. Even later, his own disciples. Um here's what I think. I think it has nothing to do with his physical appearance, but rather the method and the the mode in which he came, the form in which he came, the message that he brought. The whole thing is is absolutely and totally against the grain of our hearts and what we really want in our lives. He stands himself up against everything we are, everything we pursue, and everything we're about. One author put it this way. Why is he despised and rejected of men? As not the fault of Jesus, we must search the answer by an investigation of man. Jesus is not attractive to the worldly minded. Neither materialism, sensualism, pride, nor any other thing which sets its mind on the things which are upon the earth can discover beauty in Jesus. But I think Jesus is more beautiful than anyone that has ever lived on this planet. And I believe that you can get there too. I believe you can come to a place where you see Jesus as absolutely beautiful and not as one whom people would turn their faces. Because here's the thing. When we begin to see through the BS of this world, the empty promises, the the fake goods, and we start rejecting it, and we... Um, Realize the depth of our own sin, our own slavery, our own shame. And then, then we see Jesus coming, humble and meek, sorrowful and grieving, silent and willing, and hanging on our place, the cross. Dying in our place. then Jesus is beautiful beyond words because first he, he bore our sin he bore our sh- our guilt and our shame Jesus cr- son of god was crushed for my sins he was pierced for my transgressions he was pierced for your sins for your transgressions in other words he bore every failing and offense Every moment of mistrust, doubt and disobedience, he was punished for every wicked inclination of the heart, for my bent, our bent self-reliance and fear. He carried every one of our sorrows, every ounce of our spiritual sickness, and our sin required the suffering of his soul. He bore our guilt and shame. He took our judgment. Here's the imagery here. It's inescapable if you were a first century Jew describing Jesus as a, a lamb being led to the shears and then to the slaughter. And they were an agrarian culture that they were very familiar with having little lambs, little pets that became lamb chops. They understood this, they knew it, they knew what it was like. Though their little lambs, went silently because they didn't know what they faced. Jesus went silently, willingly, knowing exactly what he would face. But they also saw this time and time again at the Temple Mount, in the worship of Israel, when they would take the lamb and they would slaughter the lamb and it would become this bloody mess. They put blood everywhere. It must have been... Horrific sight. I've I've even even related it to like a B-rated horror movie. They're putting it on the post. They're throwing it everywhere. They're slinging it. They're burning it. And all these different things are happening. And the whole point, the entire time, was that should be you. That is your place. And it should have took their breath when they see the breath of the Lamb flow out of the body the last time, that should have been you. That was your place. And then Jesus also took our separation. Jesus took all of this. The shame, the dishonor, The beatings, the scourging, and then the agony of the cross. But here's the thing. To me, the most horrific phrase in this entire passage is in verse 10. It says, it was the Lord's will to crush Him. It was the Lord's will to crush Him. In other words, the Heavenly Father... Had planned and decided to send his son to be crushed, torn apart, shamed, scourged, and crucified on our behalf. But the whole thing about it was, it was that his son would be crushed and would face the separation from God that everyone in here deserves because of our sin. So Jesus didn't just suffer humiliation and physical death. Jesus suffered eternal separation from His Father. God the Father. The most intimate, closest, loving, eternal relationship that has ever existed in the universe. And He went... To be separated from that. To to, even for a moment. It's it's one thing in a relationship. If If you get spurned, rejected by somebody you don't know, that's pain enough. But to be rejected and spurned by somebody dear to your heart can break a person in half. And so if you would imagine the most infinite most, the longest, most uh, eternal, intimate relationship that has ever existed, was in a moment torn in two. Jesus faced hell on our behalf. He bore our guilt and shame. He took our judgment, and he took the separation that we deserved. That's what this passage describes. That Jesus took our place. He bore our grief. He was pierced for our transgressions. Crushed for our iniquities. By his his wounds we are healed. Each and every one of us like sheep go astray. Each and every one of us going our own way. Buying the lie that this world can give us what we want. The Lord, the Lord put our iniquity upon him. That's what we celebrate Good Friday. It's a dark day that shows us the light. And in a few moments, we're going to celebrate communion, which is, we celebrate this week in and week out. But hopefully, it'll have special import. And significance for us tonight. Because the good news is, we don't have to say goodbye to Jesus. This isn't a celebration that he's gone for good. It's a celebration. Because in three days, he would be raised. And here's a video to help us prepare for our, for.